This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hi, friends. I hope your winter is going well. If you're like me, then you're already dreaming and planning your spring garden. I can't wait to get started growing here for our first farm season in Colorado, so I have been busily inventorying the seeds that we have and figuring out what else I need to fill in the gaps in our growing plan. Today I have a super fun interview for you about a different kind of growing, bonsai trees. I'm sharing a fantastic conversation that I had with Jerome and Mari of the Bonsai Supply. They are also the authors of the beautiful book, Freestyle Bonsai. In today's episode, they'll discuss the origins and history of bonsai, some common myths about bonsai, and the different types of trees that can become bonsai. Jerome and Mari also offer their thoughts on what tools you need to get started and walk us through the process of tending to and pruning your trees. There's a lot of great information here, and you can really hear the passion that they both have for bonsai and their craft. I hope you enjoy it. Jerome, Mari, I'm so excited to have you both on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. I would love it if you all could just introduce yourselves in your own words to our listeners. Uh, My name is Jerome, and I am the uh, owner of the Bonsai Supply, and I'm also the uh, artist of the Bonsai Supply. This is my wife, Mari. And most people say that I am the looks and that she's the talent of the business. So, well, I have the brain okay? <laughs> and the looks too. This, this guy, huh? Doesn't give me any of that. Yeah, I was trying. <laughs> uh, well, thank you first to uh, for having us here. We're excited to be talking to you uh, about our book and about bonsai in general, which is our pretty much our lifestyle. It's our 24-7, so we we enjoy it and we are here to spread the word and to let everyone out there know, uh, to know that it's not as difficult as it seems and you can do it. Everybody can do this. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, like I was saying before we started recording, I am already excited to get my first and I know that it will be a problem for me and it will not just stop at one. So I both appreciate and maybe I'm a little upset with you for introducing me to this. You're welcome. <laughs> so uh, Jerome, I, I know you said you started working with Bonsai back in 2007. So what first drew you to this? And then I just have to ask, how many bonsai do you currently have? Do you want the truth? or? <laughs> so it's kind of a funny story. I actually grew up with bonsai. So my mom used to, um, she was on a world trip when she was 21 years old and she stopped in Japan. And so she had to make a little bit of money to continue travel. And so she actually worked at a bonsai nursery throughout the day. And so when I was born and raised, she kind of taught me bonsai growing up. So I have always been around bonsai and I've always done bonsai, but I haven't been really professionally involved into bonsai until about 2007. That's when I got super addicted. That's when I moved to the United States. And in Switzerland, we have very small backyards. So we could not have a lot of bonsai trees. So when I moved here and I saw that the first house that I was at had so much space, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to get a lot of bonsai trees. So I started with one and then I had about 150 to almost 200 trees within about a year. Wow. Okay. So definitely filled up that backyard. Yes. I filled up the backyard and that was just the time when I actually met my wife so yeah so okay. I, I, Good timing. I met him and the first thing was 
he brought me to his backyard and I was just, wow, he's so passionate. That was actually very attractive for me. <laughs> he's like, okay, this was a test. If you were like, this is crazy. We couldn't have worked out, but <laughs> for me, it was just so interesting. And then I got into myself with him. So now she's actually approving all of my designs. So when I create a new bonsai tree and I'm like, Mari, help me out with this part. Like I'm thinking this part. And she's like, oh, that would be terrible. I think you should do this part. So now we kind of work on all the trees together and style them together. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I love that. That's so great. So you passed the initial test and you guys got to continue dating. And now, now together, how many bonsai do you have? We, I, I would say once you pass the 100 mark, you don't count anymore. I love that. And he loves that, that, especially. So I will say 100 plus. Okay. Well, and it's nice that it's something you're doing together. So it's not like one of you rolling your eyes at the other going, why do we have so many bonsai? So it's great that you can work on this as, as Thank a couple. God that's not the case. Yeah. So for those who might be really unfamiliar with bonsai, can we maybe start off with just a little overview about the origin and history of, of bonsai? Yeah, of course. Um, so bonsai, the art form originated in China. And the way that it came about really was that people wanted to have trees that they could not have wherever they were from. So back in those times, I'm talking like 2000 years plus ago, when they would travel to different uh, counties or cities, they would see that they had different trees and they wanted to take them home. So the easy solution was to cut the trees in half and just dig up the stumps and carry the stumps back to wherever they were from. And then the trees would re-sprout from the stumps. And so over time, they kind of realized that if they would keep those trees small, they could actually keep them, you know, show them around, like keep them as like garden things, uh, like garden accents, and then also take them when they would travel and see like, hey, look what we have. We have this little tree that we got from this place. And so over time, it really evolved into an art form. And then about a thousand years ago, some Japanese monks, they were studying in China and they brought some uh, bonsai trees back to Japan with them. So in China, bonsai was called penching, which means exactly the same as bonsai. And then the Japanese kind of took over the art form, changed the name from penching to bonsai, which translated means tree in a tray, pretty straightforward. So they started traveling the world and started teaching the Japanese. And so that's why it is known as bonsai and not as penching these days. So amazing. So this almost started off as like a travel souvenir that, that people would travel and then decide, oh, I want to bring, be able to bring this back with me. And then almost like a status symbol of like something to show off, like where you've been. It's, it's kind of like a conversation piece, I would think, right? Like right. these emperors, they would invite people over, have parties, and then have these conversation pieces to kind of show off, like, look where I have been, right? And look how much good, how much uh, better I am in a, in a sense. So, yeah, I mean, that's way cooler than just, you know, a fridge magnet from every country you go to. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Oh, the beautiful part of the art is that it also, especially in China and Japan, it is something that it goes through generations. So it teaches them discipline and teaches them patience. And it's such a beautiful thing to see that some trees are a thousand years old. Yeah. I mean, 
they are just have gone through generations and it's just that much care that is put into it to pass it to the next generation. I think that for me is amazing. That's very true. I think it's much more serious in the Asian countries than it was in the United States, but it is becoming more serious as well. And just like she was saying, like the father passing the tree down to the son that his grandfather had worked on for 60 years. And so that's just really special, I think. Right. Yeah. I mean, the beautiful thing is that once he went beyond China and Japan, pretty much every country has gotten its its own style, mm-hmm. its own thing. So it's really interesting to see how in the U.S. we're pretty somehow premature in the art. But that's such a beautiful place as well, because we we see it from an open mind and just as an art and we just embrace the creativity behind mm-hmm. it. So that's what we stay. I will say in the in the art itself, as well, like against mm-hmm. the traditional. That is very true, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I know in the book, and we'll definitely get into the different styles, um, and then some of the styles are very specifically more freeform, which seemed to me to be kind of a very like American sort of take on that. But in the book, so you opened up just kind of blowing my mind right out of the gate, talking about these misconceptions about bonsai. And one of the ones that stuck out to me was that they aren't really intended to be houseplants and that in fact, most of them, most of the types of bonsai are meant to be outdoors. Can you maybe talk about this a little more and maybe some of the other myths about bonsai? Yeah, mine. I, I can I can take that one. <laughs> we uh, we actually had a, a nursery in Florida, bonsai nursery, um, when we used to live in Florida. And that was one of the things that we would hear the most they will come by and they will be like, oh, I really want this, this tree. And we were always like, what are you planning to place it? And they were like, in my room. And, and like, um, okay. So, and then we were like, okay, but how, how much light does your window get? And then we were trying to find a way to tell them that their options were very limited <laughs> because yes, they the best case scenario is to have your trees outside, just like regular trees. Um, they need they need sunlight and water and just think about it about our regular trees right they are outdoors so uh for us was yeah for us was was something that we had to 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 play with and also in the movies right movies most of them they all show them indoors (laughs) right Um, i was gonna say my experience with bonsai from media at least has been that it's this very small cute tree and a little tray on some office man's desk and he has the little rake you know with the sand and it's a meditative (laughs) thing and you know it's maybe a foot high tops right and so looking through your book and seeing just the range of other trees and that you know these are much bigger obviously it was it was really fascinating (laughs) That's actually one of my favorite misconceptions. Uh, Like she said, when we had the store in Florida, people would come into the store and be like, looking around, they would be like, where are the bonsai trees? And we're like, can you not see all these thousands of bonsai trees? And they're like, no, but the bonsai trees. And we're like, what do you mean? And so we realized that people thought that bonsai was a specific species Mm. of tree. And so they thought a juniper was a bonsai. And then so we had to explain them that like, well, bonsai is just the art form, but any tree can really be a bonsai tree. Um, Because the idea behind creating a bonsai tree is to recreate a miniature image of a large and old tree. So anything that you can get your hands on that you could replicate that miniature image of 
you could use that species to create that bonsai tree. So that's probably one of my favorite myths. I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah, that was very interesting to me as well. And so you mentioned juniper, for instance, as a species that can be bonsai. What are maybe some of the more common uh, types of trees that are being used for bonsai right now? Well, in the book, we uh, talk about these popular species, and we also think they are great species for beginners. That's that's why we we were make sure to like talk about them the most in the book. And those are ficus. Um, that's a tropical tree. Uh, also, jades, which you could. Well, we also talk about that. You could have them indoors, depending on some um, properties that you will have to have in your house to have it indoors, but. Jade is a good option. We also, of course, we talk about the juniper just because very popular and yes, yeah, a great species as well. Maple. So maple, maple is a is one that's one of my favorites. That's ha, maple has a very special place in my heart. It is a super easy tree to take care of. It grows very fast and it makes a very very good bonsai tree. So did we miss anything? Yeah, I think those are the main, um, like the most popular ones. But the most popular so, one. so, so However, many. having said the juniper and the maple, you always want to make sure that you kind of grow things that naturally grow in your environment. Meaning that if you live in Miami, South Florida, you might not want to buy a Japanese maple, right? Because that would not grow well in your area and you will kill it instantly. The same as if you live in New York and you order a ficus, a tropical tree, and you keep it outdoors all year round, it's not going to survive. The bonsai dies, and then that's how bonsai gets a bad name because, oh, bonsai is so hard, you know? So you kind of want to do research, uh, type in your zip code uh, on the internet and find out what climate you live in, like what growing zone you live in, and if you live in a tropical climate, subtropical, or temperate climate, and then get a tree according to your climate. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. And right. especially for beginners, you want to have that initial success. And then maybe later on down the road, play around with some things that are harder for your climate to deal with. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So thank you. My next question was going to be which trees are best for beginners. So I think that's great, especially I think jade and ficus are things that a lot of folks, if they've dealt with houseplants, they may already have, and then they can start looking at this from the perspective of bonsai and working, working with those plants that way, or hopefully branch out. And maybe if they have room, get the juniper or a maple and start outdoors as well, which would be really cool. Is you will definitely make room when you start bonsai. <laughs> you will get very creative of how you can cramp as many different species into the uh, place that you have. I remember, <laughs> I remember this um, customer. He came so excited, excited to, to show me a picture of his new uh, like balcony he did some how will say that some some shelves right some shelves mm -hmm. yeah so he divided his space so neat and he had like 40 trees in his little balcony yeah I was just <laughs> like you're a genius uh but yeah where there is where hearts I was the same with there is a will there's a way for sure right. there's a way yeah. yes definitely and plant lovers we are yeah, plant lovers, we're pretty wild about that. We will cram as many plants, whether it's an outdoor garden or indoors with house plants, we will fit as much as we can in there. So I don't see anything wrong with any of this. Definitely not. We love that that shirt that says, um, you can't have too many bonsai trees. Oh no, you you have too many bonsai trees, said no one ever. Right. Yes. That's yes. 
doesn't exist. <laughs> what are some of the more interesting or creative places that you all have bonsai trees or that you've seen other people put them? Well, um, you know I what? can tell you a very specific place that when, <laughs> before I met Jerome, he had his trees. And this is a little, little story time. But... I'm a little nervous right now. <laughs> So <laughs> Jerome, he actually lived first in Massachusetts and then he moved to Florida where, you know, to different climates and he wanted to bring some of his trees. So he was determined to bring his trees to Florida and to make it work. <laughs> he actually placed them on a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> works. <laughs> but you so. know, <laughs> so that's a weird place to put a bonsai so. tree, but Jerome has done it. Now that you put me in the spot. Uh, so when I moved to Florida, there was just some trees that I could not part ways with. So I bought a big refrigerator that I put into my spare bedroom and I overwintered my temper trees in that refrigerator. It sounds like a great idea, but let me tell you, it is not. It's a terrible idea. Oh, because no. you have to open up the refrigerator to let some air in probably like three times a day. So to aerate, so it becomes a full-time job. So that's why I stay away from that. But I have actually seen when I, um, I would say one of the most creative places that I've seen bonsai was in China. Uh, they had some high rises and somebody had installed like a, a ledge on the outside of the window on the high rise and tied trees to like a little uh, wooden plank with strings on the outside of a high rise. Wow. I thought, I thought that was uh, that was genius and it really shows determination. Right. I was about to say, it's very <laughs> determined to be able to do that. I love it. <laughs> so in addition to the plants, um, when we get into like a new hobby or interest, there are usually like the tools, which is always the fun thing to get with them too. And you have a great section, beautiful photos in the book for just the different tools you use for working with bonsai. If someone was just getting started with the hobby, what would be like your top tools to get immediately versus, you know, things that they can maybe wait and add later? What would you suggest they start with? I mean, number one tool for sure is uh, scissors or yeah, bonsai scissors. We, we wanted to make sure that people understand that it's not a regular scissors that you will use for paper, for instance, or I don't know, kitchen scissors. <laughs> They're very specific. They are sharp. They have angles specific to make cuts where they need to be. I would say scissors number one, you need to trim your tree. Your tree is going to grow. Hopefully if it's happy and healthy, it will grow. So you need um, scissors. Um, number two, I will probably go for uh, a rake. If you are uh, repotting your tree. So we repot okay. the trees. It depends, but let's say once a year. At, uh, once a year to every four trees. years, depending <clears throat> on uh, climate and age of trees. If, if they're very young trees, we recommend once a year. It helps the tree grow faster and you will need for that the tools you will need a rake, you will need pliers, pliers, and then we'll need wire, wire cutters. cutters if you're tired. Yep. We, and you will also need a chopstick. So it's technically five tools, right? You need the scissors, the rake, the pliers, the wire cutter, and the chopstick. And these are the uh, five, like, right? Yeah, so this five is, but also you kind of can get it within a year or so when you're about to repot. And if you right. want to do it yourself. So technically, number one tool for sure is scissors, scissors yeah. no matter what. And then if you're ready in a year or so to do the repotting yourself for your trees, you'll need the 
we recommend the other two at the other four. So yeah, five sessions. But you know, you don't have to, when you go buy tools, you don't have to go buy the most expensive Japanese tools, you know, like uh, start easy, go to Amazon and see what they have or go to your nearest uh, bonsai nursery if you have one and just pick up regular tools there because when you get started in bonsai, you're not going to repot. First of all, you're going to trim and then you kind of build as you go. So if you don't have a hundred trees, you don't need to have really good tools, right? And so you kind of, I always refer it to like the Jimi Hendrix method, right? Like nobody starts out learning to play, to play an instrument by learning how to play a, a Jimi Hendrix song, right? You start out with smoke on the water and then you build from there. And so it's the same with bonsai. I love it. Yes. So that's great. So really just the one tool, the, the, the right scissors to start with, and then you can just add from there. And so repotting once a year or sometimes as they get older, even less often. So that's really great to know. And you mentioned trimming. I know for some folks, the idea of like trimming and pruning their plants can be a little scary, but then we also know that just from a gardening perspective, you know, we, we have to prune our tomato plants. We have to prune our fruit trees and it makes them so much better, healthier, more productive and happier. So if people are nervous about that, how do you talk them through trimming their tree for the first time? So we always recommend to let the trees grow out of shape. So if you, usually when you buy a bonsai tree, it's always shaped most likely. So let it grow out of shape and let the new growth harden. Once it turns to wood, then trim it back and then let it grow out again. So it's kind of that constant of letting it grow out, trimming it back, letting it grow out. A bonsai tree will never look pristine 365 days. It has to go through these stages to be healthy. And so when you have that bush and you're like, oh my God, I don't know where to start, just envision the outer canopy of the finished tree, that silhouette. And then just start from one side, either left or right, and work your way around the tree and just trim it into that shape. I would say that would be the easiest way for you to learn how to trim. When you do your first trim, you might have to go over it again and again to get to that final stage where you're like, oh, I like that. And then you kind of go from there. I mean, as Jerome mentioned, the most important part is that you let the new grow hard enough. And then you are the designer. Think about it. You are the hairstylist and like hair, it will grow back. <laughs> so have fun with it. Like as I said, you are the designer and it's not really right or wrong. If right. you're learning, that's the way to go. That's and the only way permanent. To It'll grow back. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's the only way to learn is to fail miserably to <laughs> learn from your mistakes. That's the only yeah. way. Everybody who's good in bonsai has killed at least 50 trees, literally, and has failed over and over and over again in order to get good. But that's the same with everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. Part of the process. 50 times. <laughs> we'll help you out. Well, now there's more information out there. Thank God. Because when I started Bonsai, the internet was not really there yet. People were not putting up blogs and making YouTube videos, you know, like 15 years ago or writing a lot of books. So it was very, very difficult. So I had to learn through really trial and error. But you are fortunate enough where you can just get a book or you can go to YouTube or like there's so much information out there. So like she said, you do not have to fail 50 times, perhaps only five times. <laughs> right. And, and that's okay. And you can yes. 
go to Bonsai Supply and get the next the next one to experiment with. So um, you mentioned repotting. And so I, that kind of takes me to the next thing is that Bonsai have very different soil needs. Um, and so just a regular like potting soil mix that gardeners might be familiar with for indoor plants is not going to cut it here. So can you talk about what are some of the differences between say like a normal potting soil versus a bonsai soil mix? What should people be looking for or should they be buying like a pre-made bonsai mix or trying to make it on their own? What would you suggest? Yes, um, bonsai soil is so, so important. Um, I guess it's, it could be part of a bonsai myth as well because it, it is for, for beginners, they don't quite understand or they don't know right away that yeah, that black soil is just no good for your tree. Um, it's, it's a good short-term solution, uh, but as a long-term, definitely does not, does not do anything good to it. For us, it was important to create a mix that it worked for multiple species. And uh, people in, in, bonds, in the bonsai world use different mixes. In fact, people like to experiment and do their own thing, and that's great. Every mix has two uh, essential ingredients that, yeah, no matter what you're experimenting with, most likely 90% of the, uh, of the possibilities that they will have these two aggregate. And this is lava rock and pumice. So those are our base ingredients. And then for us, we we play with pine bark and calcine plain. Some other people use acarama and we use that as a substitute pretty much of the acarama. Acarama is a, another ingredient that is very well known in the bonsai community. However, it's all very expensive to obtain and in our search to finding ways to make the art more affordable. Uh, that's why we started experimenting with other aggregates and that's our myths right now. For us, it was also important. And the reason, so Akadama is a Japanese clay that is imported uh, from Japan, obviously. And it, is, it can get very expensive. So what we wanted to focus on was to create something, uh, a soil mix that we can find in our own country, like all made in the United States. And also, so that was very important for us, but also maybe for you to easier understand why we don't use black soil in bonsai is because when you purchase a plant at a big box store uh, for you gardeners, when you get home with that plant, you most likely put it in the ground or you put it into a big, bigger pot. Or as we all know it, these plants that we get from big box stores, they start to decline if you don't put them in the ground. And that's because black soil can get like stiff like a brick, like because the soil compacts over time. So no oxygen can get into the top of the soil and aerate the roots. And so that's why our soil is made out of, it looks kind of like rocks, but each of those ingredients has, is very essential and has its own job. So it is porous for air to come in and aerate the roots. It is porous enough so that the uh, water can drain out the bottom freely because especially bonsai trees, they like to get a little dry in between watering. So yes, we water more often, but also our pots are shallower than like uh, what you would use or what you would be used to in gardening. So that's why we have to use a different soil and it's so essential and buy it pre-mixed. Don't, when you get into bonsai, take it easy. Like get one good soil mixture, get one good fertilizer, don't like start to make your own soil. It's too overwhelming. Take it easy and, you know, just buy a premix. It's easier. 
We're right. here to do the heavy lifting for you. <laughs> <laughs> right. That way you can get to the fun part, which is getting to like train and style the bonsai. Um, and so this is like the bulk of the book is talking about like the different ways of doing this, the different techniques. And this is like super fascinating to me. So can you talk to us maybe a little bit about the different ways this can be done? So like some of the things mentioned in the book are uh, doing the wiring or the uh, clip and grow technique. Um, can you talk talk about either of those? Yeah, of course. So when when I mentioned earlier about trimming the tree and kind of envisioning that, you know, that silhouette, that's how you get started, right? And if you just want to have a bonsai tree that, you know, you can have at home and maybe it's a conversation piece or something that makes you feel good, you can stay kind of in that perimeter of bonsai. But if you want to take your tree to the next level and maybe ex exhibition it one day, or like we uh, had the pleasure of uh, displaying a tree at Disney World uh, during the Flower and Garden Festival, which was amazing. So if you want to get from this level to that level, it's essential that you learn the clip and grow technique as well as how to wire your tree, right? Because young trees, the branches grow towards the sun. Oh, I'm sorry. They grow towards the sun. And over time, when the branches get heavier and heavier, they start to come down and then they start to shape the tree. Now in bonsai, we don't have time to wait for the branches to get that big and heavy. So we have to use the wire to take these branches and bring them down to kind of create that illusion, having that small image of a very large and old tree. Now the clip and grow technique is kind of used hand in hand with the wiring. So imagine the wiring is kind of like braces for your teeth. Because once the uh, branches start to grow into the wire, you can remove the wire and then the branches are set in those positions. Now from there, you would use the clip and grow technique. And the clip and grow technique is very simple. So you basically cut the branch back to the last leaf in which direction you want the new growth to continue to grow. So if you cut back to the last leaf, facing into the left direction, the new branch will grow into the left direction. If you leave the last leaf to the right direction or to down or up, the new branch will grow into that direction. So that's clip and grow technique. So you use these two together over many, many years, many, many years to create a bonsai tree that you can then take to a show or have displayed at Disney World or something like that. So. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah, as we said, bonsai takes patience, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love the kind of the meditative, just how deliberate and how intentional it has to be um, as you like plan your, your cuts. So when you start working with like a new bonsai tree, for instance, do you sort of have a plan in your head of what you want it to end up looking like that you start shaping it as? Like what, what's that process like for y'all? So we kind of have two different processes. One process is she likes to just pick up things at nurseries and just surprise me. Say, here you go, make something. This is a challenge for you. Kind of throw <laughs> me into the... Wait, wait, wait. When I... Okay, yes. <laughs> but I see, I see potential. For me, for me, everything is about the trunk. So when I see a tree that has a nice trunk, interesting trunk, either it's twisted or it's just very thick, because in, in bonsai, you will, you will appreciate when the, the trunk is thick. It, it means that it's, the tree is older, so you're saving some time there. You're pretty much buying time when you buy these trees. Mm -hmm. 
So, and I also like trees that has a lot, a lot of branches. So when you have lots of branches, then you have lots of options. Now, also what she said is true and might sound really good, but she also likes to pick out really challenging pieces <laughs> or pieces of material that are almost impossible to turn into a bonsai. So she'll be like, here's a new challenge for you. And you're going to work on this tree on our next live stream in front of all of our followers. And I'm starting <laughs> to sweat. Now, the way that I go about choosing a, a piece of material, which is my preferred way, and I think when she's not trying to challenge me, I think it's the same for her. I like to kind of walk through the, the materials and kind of see which one speaks to me, which one piques my interest. And it's really funny because it is really true. The plants really talk to you. You can see a hundred trees, but out of that crowd, that one, you see it from very far back there, like, oh, that's the one, that one is interesting. And it starts to speak to you. And so that's kind of how I like to speak, pick the trees, because those trees I usually end up developing over many, many years, and those usually become the best trees. But I will say many times, just start with an idea, and then in the middle of it, you're like, you see something different, and then you change, or even picking up a front of the tree, and then all of a sudden the back is just nicer. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I think it's a lot of discovery while you work. On so I tree. think once you start to work on a tree, you have to kind of be open-minded. And that's where, like you said, that it was very like spiritual to work with the tree and like soothing and like almost kind of like meditating, right? And so you have to be very open to suggestions as you work through the, the material because new things might come up, new branches come up that you're like, oh, that might not work. I have to change and deviate from my original plan. And so you kind of always let the tree guide you and tell you what it wants to be styled or turned into. And I will say that's our process now that we have more, like, have more experience. And of course, you have all the experiences. But to me, for, oh, well, for us in the book, uh, we actually try to make it easier for the beginner. And we have this chapter dedicated to styling a tree which is my favorite one. I love the pictures. I love everything. Yeah. And we pretty much show you what kind of material will be the best or the easiest for you to get to that style, the easiest way. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are ways that, that you can see a tree and you're like, oh my gosh, like this will be perfect for broom style. It will be perfect for cascading. Like, yes, like we, in the book, we try to teach you how to open your mind and start with those that are kind of like obvious that's in your face and it's the easiest mm -hmm. way to go. And yeah, after that, then you'll see more, more, more. And then, yeah, you'll discover something that you never imagined that that was going to be something else. <laughs> so yeah, it's just, it's, um, there are different ways to, to go about it. But as a beginner, um, I will always recommend to, to try to see the tree for some trees have some characteristics that are just perfect for some styles. And, and we, we cover that in the It'll book. speak to you, mm. for sure. Yeah, that was also my favorite section of the book, talking about the different the different yeah. styles. Um, I really, I think my two favorites were um, the windswept style, where so it looks like the tree is sort of like forever in motion uh, with like a breeze going through it. And then I also just like permaculture and gardening. I loved the forest style with, you know, many trees put together. Um, and I really liked that. As, as you said, that you talk about how, you know, which trees specifically would be best for each style, even down to like which type of container to look for. 
Um, so you make it very easy for someone to kind of pick out a style that they want to like aspire to hopefully get this in a few years from a certain tree. Um, but I do also love the idea of just kind of wandering around and seeing what speaks to you or picking out those fun project or, or challenge trees as well. So could each of you talk about maybe one of like your favorite styles from the book and like what you like about it, especially I think our favorite styles are like yours. Her favorite is forest and mine is windswept. So oh, okay. <laughs> well, I have to say, I also love whipping style. Oh yeah, whipping. that's a good one too. It's also very dramatic, very, very interesting style, I would say. Uh, I will add root over rock. That's for sure another style that I love. And in fact, I've been receiving so many like pictures. People have been sending us like emails and also DM on, on social media look what I did today. I did it with the book. And I was like, that's so amazing. I love that people are getting out there and doing it with the book. So they were like, this is amazing. That means we, we are showing them well in the steps how to do it. So yeah, I will say Road Over Rock and actually we've been. So Road Over Rock is very cool. I, I really liked that one as well. That, that looks Rock. really interesting. So I think for me, I really love windswept because it, it captures a moment, right? There's trees that are windswept by a heavy wind, or then there's trees that are windswept through many, many years of abuse by mother nature, right? Like trees that grow on the coast and that get that constant blow, they kind of start to grow into that windswept. So for me, it's really capturing that moment, right? Of the, where it's like blowing and it's like the tree is struggling to stay alive and like, has so much to deal with. So I really love that. However, I also like root over statue. Um, root over statue is something that I don't really want to take credit for that I invented it, but I would say I was one of the pioneers in that art, in that, um, in that specific style. So I was in Cambodia in, uh, at Angkor Wat, and I saw that they had these ficuses grow over all of these statues naturally. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. How could I capture this in like a bonsai form? And that's when I created, and the tree is actually shown in the book too, and we show you how to do it as well, where I took a ficus and I grew it over a statue to take that big image that I saw and shrunk it down into a bonsai image. So those are probably my two favorite, windswept and root over statue, because you can get so creative with that. I think it comes because uh, it also, they tell a story. You know, you can easily take a, a tell a story with a statue mm -hmm. and also with a windswept. Could even be a hurricane. Because I remember when we <laughs> lived in Florida, there were in hurricane season, Jerome was styling all trees. That was his inspiration, the hurricane season. I, I grew up in Florida. I have survived many hurricane seasons down there. So I think, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of perfect. I love it. Um <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the uh, the more like the freeform styling? Is that something that's getting more popular now? Um, I think so. So there is a traditional styling or way of doing bonsai, which is the uh, Japanese one, since they kind of took over the art form, they kind of like perfected it in a way. And so that's a very traditional way and it has specific rules like this branch has to be here, this one here, and this one there in order for it, you know, to make an aesthetic picture or image. Now, as you might know, in the United States, we do not really care so much about these rules. And we want to kind of 
understand the rules, right? That's very important in order to bend them and to create that freestyle, you have to understand the rules. And so we kind of created that freestyle of approach of still creating a very beautiful tree, but making it look more natural, you know, where you see it and you're like, wow, I can actually believe that. It looks like the tree shrunk down or it's just a miniature tree. So that's kind of where that free form, freestyle came into play. And, and of course, there they are things that are very essential to the health of the tree. And those we don't compromise. Like right. we know, you know. But when we talk about the art, why to put any limitation, right? Bonsai as an artist, as an artist, you shouldn't have those limitations in your head. You should just go for what it feels right and just create a piece that you're proud of or just, you know, let your creativity go wild. Mm -hmm. And I think that's uh, one of the things that you love to do. In fact, we we have a TikTok uh, account and we the most popular videos have gone, they have gone with so many views is because Jerome literally takes a whip that, you know, you, you wouldn't think that wouldn't do anything, right? It's just like, and then he makes some twists to it and that's like a cascading thing and goes up. I mean, he goes crazy. And, yeah. and, and we have received a really good um, feedback on those. It's just fun. So especially I think the younger generation um, appreciate just the fact of not having so many rules or, or just so much criticism. We're more about is art, you know, there are many ways to, to, to do art. I mean, it is a, it is a hobby at the end of the day for most people. Right. So you don't want to have another job once you get done with your job. So that's why I think the freestyle form is very appealing, especially now to the younger generation, as you know, the young, trying to get young people's attention nowadays and then trying to enforce rules just doesn't work. So that's why the freestyle approach really encourages young people to come into the bonsai art form and we need to have the young people we need to adjust according to them what they like and don't like because otherwise it's a dying art form if we can't get new people in right so right definitely and so i like that you're offering so many different avenues for people to get into bonsai and to appreciate it and so on your website the bonsai supply in addition to the book, you guys have all this information there. You have supplies. You can even just get your first, you know, couple trees to get started with. Um, but I really love that you do have this emphasis on uh, different types of education that you're offering too. So I saw you even have like a monthly group where people can get on Zoom and like show off their trees and get like feedback from you as well as other people, um, which I think is so cool to kind of like build that community because people might live somewhere where they might not know anyone else that, you know, is into bonsai. So this is great for them to be able to, you know, connect and get that advice and feedback as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that as well as maybe other ways um, you're giving people to get started and, and learn about bonsai with you? Um, yeah, I mean, the monthly uh, study groups, I believe we started it uh, with the pandemic, right? Because we all moved to <laughs> um, Zoom. <laughs> and, but that, that opened to uh, such a beautiful community worldwide. And now we get to learn from um, species, sometimes species that we've never seen. We have somebody in the group and it will be like, oh, this is my tree. We're like, what is that? <laughs> so it's, it's so interesting. We all learn from each other. It's, it's really um, a safe space. Uh, we, we show our trees. We talk with Jerome about our goals 
So like, okay, so this is the tree, this is what I would like to get uh, with it. And then we put a plan of action. Okay, so this is what you're gonna start to do. We talk about climate, what's your climate? Where are you placing it? And the best part of it for me is that as a group setting, you get to learn from other people's um, experiences too. So many times it's just like, wow, that tree is so cool. I'm gonna get that one. And now I know how it works because the other person has it, you know? So it's, it's I, I love those study groups for sure. And um, besides that, we also have um, our social media. It's something that, that is, you know, a free resource for everyone. And we try to put content as much as we can and try to reach, especially um, the beginners. We're trying to break this. Um, we're trying to be like the bridge between the advanced and the beginners and, and make, make all this welcoming, welcoming and easy to understand yes trying to be as i think that's that was really the uh, idea for us to write the book when we were approached uh if we wanted to write the, a beginner book for us the most important thing was to make it as easy as possible to understand like all of the uh, uh words that we use the language that we use in bonsai or just simple things like why do i have to place my tree in the sun oh when i place it in the sun then this happens and that happens so in very easy to understand language um, and that it is very welcoming to everybody. I think that's kind of, yeah, right? Yeah, we also have a YouTube channel where we do lives once a month. Um, and in the live demonstration, we interact with people, people can ask us questions. Um, we talk about the tree and we actually auction the tree at the end. So for those that are in the US, they can even win the tree that we're working yeah. on. So something else. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I think you really achieved that with the book. It's very accessible as someone who has never had bonsai before. I feel like I have a whole new interest that I need to carve out some time for. So I'm really excited. And I, I feel like the book was a really good introduction for me that was informative as well as like really inspiring too. So I'm very excited to get started and to get my first, I'll say one bonsai, but let's be realistic. It'll probably be like three or five uh, to start with. So um, before we wrap up, do you have any new projects that you want to share or talk about or just anything exciting happening with Bonsai that you're you're super happy about right now? Well, the only thing I can think right away because it's happening this weekend <laughs> um, is that uh, Jerome is going to have a tropical Bonsai presentation at the Atlanta Bonsai Society. Uh, we live in Atlanta. No, we, we said that at, at any time. Um, so, uh, and we're part of this club, by the way. So, if you are in Atlanta, yeah, good point. Um, clubs. Yeah, there are clubs. <laughs> we're part of this one. Join. We always come and join your club, um, and uh, we'll be there. So, we usually go the most we can, so you can get to know us, ask us questions, please, and say hi. I would say that. What else we have going on? Huh. So looking at my calendar, <laughs> there's a project that I'm very excited to um, to release soon. I'm working on a uh, on a new tree that I have acquired that's over 300 years old, and it is a uh, juniper that was collected in the Mojave Desert in California. And I'm going to do an approach graph, so I'm changing the foliage from the California juniper to something more attractive 
such as the Shimpaku Juniper. So I'm gonna show step-by-step step on our YouTube channel how I change the foliage. So that's something that's coming up and that's more of an advanced thing that we're showing for probably one of the very first times. So we're going that advanced. And so I'm super excited to share that. That sounds really exciting. I didn't even think that was something you could do with a tree. So that's amazing. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm really excited to share this with everyone. And I'm, I'm guessing we're going to have some new bonsai enthusiasts after this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us today. We really appreciate it. Yes, and we can't wait to to see you with bonsai. Let us know how it goes. Oh, I definitely will be posting updates, I'm sure. I feel like we're going to see you in a study group soon. (laughs) It'll happen. (laughs) Thanks again to Jerome and Mari for coming on the show. I hope you'll check out their book, Freestyle Bonsai, and also go take a peek at their website, thebonsaisupply.com. You can find everything you need to get started over there. And I'd also suggest looking into their bonsai study group if you're wanting to take your knowledge to the next level. I'm already thinking about having some really cool bonsai around our forever home once we get it built. A little news about us here. We are currently running a tincture sale over at foxandelder.com. All of our tinctures are buy three, get two free. And that includes single herb tinctures, as well as our formulas such as Evening Ease and Heartlifter. I've been leaning on Heartlifter quite a bit, actually, just to help my mood on dreary days as we get through this winter. This is our biggest sale that we do each year as we make room on the shelves for everything new that we'll be harvesting soon. We also have just a few elderberry syrup kits left in stock, and of course we have our teas and other goodies as well. Please go check it out and pick yourself up a little something. Next episode, Mike and I will be starting a series talking about everything that went into finding our new homestead and some of the ins and outs of off-grid living that we've encountered so far. We're super excited to share our journey with you, and hopefully some of the things we've learned can be of use to you as well. As always, you can find us online on social media at Fox and Elder, on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and also over at foxandelder.com. Stay warm out there. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open. Mm -hmm.